Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford, Woking and Aldershot in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at EmmausRoad.com. And so we've been, of course, been practicing um, or, or working our way through the Beatitudes and, and a lot of just, so you, you know, all of the teaching team who've been putting together talks have been studying Mark's book on the Beatitudes. Mark has got this great book called The Ninefold Path of Jesus, The Hidden Wisdom of the Beatitudes. And so because Mark was coming to visit us anyway, we asked him if he'd come and, and wrap up this Beatitudes teaching. We're going to have these books out the back for you. And also, if you're interested for more of Mark's teaching, he's going to be at Waverly next Saturday. And we'll let you know how you can be a part of that. So can you stretch your hand? We're going to pray for Mark now. Father, we thank you for your beloved son on whom your favor rests. And Lord, we just ask that your word and your heart would go forth out of his mouth and would land solidly within us. Lord, we long for transformation. You have words of eternal life, Jesus. Come and make us new through Mark and through your spirit. Amen. Good morning. I'm really glad to be with you all this morning. Uh, it's, it's, um, it's really an honor to be with you. And um, I'm, really ex- uh, I'm really excited about what we get to explore together. A little bit about me, a little more. Um, I'm married to a woman named Lisa, and we've got three young adult kids. We live in San Francisco. I'm part of an organization that I help start called Reimagine. And um, we call it a, se- uh, a Center for Living Wisdom. And I'm passionate about helping people apply the teachings of Jesus to the messy details of everyday life. So we lead experiments and retreats, and I design learning paths that help people do that. And um, uh, after we've done some experimenting, we often write books about it. So Jill mentioned a couple of them. I'll just throw out and say that uh, family life has also been a passion for my wife, Lisa, and I, and so we, we wrote a book about that together and really want to see support families and figure out what an uh, a ten- intentional way of living the Jesus way as a family is. Uh, but today I'm here to talk about the Beatitudes, and I got a chance to listen to quite a few of the talks in your series, and um, P- Peter's especially, I'm like, man, that's a good talk. And then, um, and I was like, I must have read the same books these people are reading because this is sounding really familiar at places. So I just found out this morning that you, uh, the team had, had looked at my book, so I thought, okay, cool. Um, so a little bit about um, how, I've been on a seven-year journey with the Beatitudes. Um, I was in a London pub in 2015. I'd been working with a, a Bible agency up in the city who, um, they said, they said, Mark, we, we look at what's going on in the UK, how less and less people are participating in um, church communities or identify as, as uh, Christians. And many young people feel like um, Christian faith is irrelevant to their lives. But not only that, many people think that, that Christianity is actually toxic. It's part of the problem, not part of the solution to the struggles we have in this world. But that's so different than what we know of Jesus and what he, um, and what he lived and taught. And, it, I, and we don't think most people are familiar with the radical, life-giving nature of his way. And, the, and um, so if you look at the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, so much of it is things that our hearts long for. 
peacemaking, justice, uh, like trust, a way to deal with our anxieties and worries. And so we want to we want to create a path for helping people get their imaginations around that. And since your background is in um, like linking with um, scripture to practice, would you want to help us develop a learning path about that? I'm like, of course, I'm in. And as we were talking, I said, what this project reminds me of is a friendship that I have with a Zen Buddhist priest named Shinko. And when I was first getting to know Shinko, uh, we went on a walk and I said, Shinko, I'm going to be honest, I'm not that familiar with faith traditions outside my own. So maybe you can help me understand. When you wake up each day, what do you seek to do and to be? And in about four minutes, he talked about the Four Noble Truths, and then he, he mentioned something he called the Eightfold Path. And he said, based on the Four Noble Truths, I wake up every day and I try and deepen my, uh, my experience of the Eightfold Path. And then um, Shinko turns to me and he says, Mark, you, I, you say you're a follower of Jesus. When you wake up each day, what do you seek to do and to be? And I kind of panicked because his answer was so clear and it had a lot of content. And I was kind of deer in the headlights and I've sort of recovered. And I said, um, I said, Shinko, I wake up each day and I want to love God with my heart, soul, mind and strength and my neighbor as myself. And I sort of congratulate myself for my recovery. All right, great. But I, I left the conversation haunted that his answer was quite specific, and I could imagine it. My answer was sort of 30,000 feet, kind of, kind of vague, kind of like a sentimentality sort of thing. How exactly do I love God and people with how I walk out my life each day? And I had to ask the question, was my answer to Shinko vague because Jesus wasn't very clear about what, how to follow his way? Or had I just not learned in my Christian journey to pay attention to what Jesus is trying to help us know about how to live in his life-giving ways? Uh, one of my mentors was somebody by the name of Dallas Willard, who is a USC professor of philosophy. He used to come up and spend time with our little team in San Francisco. And the thing I remember him often saying was, um, was the Sermon on the Mount is like the curriculum for Christ-likeness. It's Jesus' best summary of what you would need to see and know in order to live in kingdom reality. And, um, and, and so, but, but the complexity of this is that the Sermon on the Mount has 110 verses. It uses a variety of ancient rhetorical teaching devices. I've memorized it, and I try and meditate on it, but it starts to get pretty muddled, you know, to, to kind of have to work through that much material. And so I started to wonder, what if the Beatitudes are the key to us understanding the Sermon on the Mount? Maybe the Beatitudes are like the table of contents for Jesus saying, this is what it means to walk in my way. And what if the Beatitudes name nine different areas of the human condition and human experience that the gospel invites newness to come into. And so I started playing with it. So just for a review, um, 
In Matthew 5, it says, Jesus went up on a mountainside, began to teach his disciples, and said, Blessed are the poor, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger for justice, the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, the persecuted, and blessed are you. Nine statements there. Maybe you thought there were eight Beatitudes. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to argue that there's nine. And there, there might be some good reasons for that. Nine fruits of the Spirit. Um, nine personality types of the Enneagram. Um, the, these are some things we, we can see are struggles for the human condition that maybe Jesus is saying something about for us. So um, nine opportunities to move from an old way of life to a new way of life. Thursday night after I, I got off the plane in Heathrow, I was up in the Midlands reconnecting with some friends, and we went out for a, uh, to a curry house. And uh, most, I was fun because most of the team uh, who worked there were from Bangladesh. And pre-COVID, I was spending a lot of time in Bangladesh. I love the culture and people there. I think it's an exciting and vibrant place and so interesting. It's one of the poorest countries in the world where the people dress so beautifully because most of our clothes are made there. And um, so I got to talking with the guys at the restaurant about their home country and uh, yeah, it's the monkeys in the villages. And one of the guys said, the, and the elephants. We don't have elephants in the UK where we live now. And so, um, so uh, I remember being in Dhaka and we're stuck in rush hour traffic and an elephant just happened to walk by us. And, and it, um, I was told as a teenager something about elephants that's really stuck with me. Um, how do you tame an elephant? You would never try and tame an adult elephant. They're too powerful. Um, now, I'm not advocating for taming elephants. Like, we're realizing that was not a good way to treat an animal, right? To have them in the circus or whatever. But the way they used to do it is they tie a rope around a baby elephant's ankle, tack a stake in the ground, and then the, the baby elephant's not strong enough to pull the stake up. So they're a prisoner. They would cry and struggle and pull at that stake and finally they would after after days and weeks and months they would give up psychologists call this learned helplessness and then the elephant grows and grows becomes more and more powerful and strong but because of the way the elephant learned to think they can still take an adult elephant and tap that little stake in the ground and it won't even try to move and I think that's, uh, that's similar to maybe a trap that we fall into where we feel like we're stuck in our old ways of seeing and living and we think that we can't, it can't be any different. Um, the Apostle Paul said, though, he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and brought us into the, the kingdom of the son he loves. So there's an old way that we learn by habit but those habits can be broken. Everything necessary for us to experience freedom and new life is here for us. But we may need to learn to live in new grooves of life. And I think the Beatitudes chart nine shifts, nine, nine new grooves to go from our first instincts, our, the ways that we first think, we first react to life, in order to survive, to move from that into the freedom and the deeper reality of the kingdom of God. And so 
if I can possibly do it in a succinct way, I'm, gonna, I'm going to attempt the impossible this morning and walk you through all nine of the Beatitudes, and we're going to note our, our first instincts and then what we're invited into. And um, I hope that what this does is helps us get a vision and something that we can carry with us that we can use as we go through our days to consider where am I struggling with those first instincts and um, how is God inviting me to make a flip, to make a choice of surrender, to move into this new way of being. I think this will become a little more clear as I get into it, but, um, um, but uh, uh, I want to give you a, a Short definition, uh, one definition of what I think spiritual formation is that might help us understand this. Uh, One way of looking at spiritual formation in the way of Jesus is that we're on a progressive journey of becoming like Christ by learning to see the world as Jesus did and acting from more accurate understanding of who God is, who we are, and how life works. So the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount Jesus is trying to share with us, I, I know how life works. And if you could see God, yourself, and life the way I do, you wouldn't find it hard to live like me. Um, because you'd be, you'd be living in reality instead of in those distortions and false beliefs. So let's get into it. Um, we learn by doing, not just by thinking. And so what I'm going to invite us to do Um, as we walk through the the Beatitudes, is to engage our bodies and our hearts as we do this. I'm wondering if you'd be game to change it up a little bit and be a little bit more participatory with how we do this thing. I might invite you to stand up and sit down a few times and make some shapes with your bodies. Would you be game? Oh, awesome. We do this with kids, and it's because it actually is like good kinesthetic learning, and somehow we think we're we're too smart for that. We need to sit back and like scratch our chins and take notes, but we, you'll actually get more out of it if you, t- if you take on these body shapes with me. And, it'll, and I hope that maybe you could, you could use these body shapes as a way of remembering the kind of life we're invited into through the Beatitudes. All right, let's get into it. Jesus said, blessed are the poor or the poor in spirit. What does it mean to be poor? Poverty is when you don't have enough or you feel like you don't have enough. Something's, something's missing or lacking, or we think it's lacking. And when we come in contact with this, like the psychologists would call this a fight or flight response, is our first tendency is to get panicky, to close our hands in anxiety, in worry, in striving. So I want you to close your hands with me. That's the posture of scarcity. Uh, this closed-handed posture of anxiety. And um, I want you to notice what it feels like in your body. I'm feeling my fingernails pressing into my palms. Uh, the blood's pumping. Uh, it's, it's an uncomfortable position to be in. Th- that's what it feels like to live in the kingdom of darkness, in, in worry and striving and anxiety. But with this beatitude, Jesus is inviting us to move from that close-handedness into a posture of open-handed trust. We might not have enough on our own, um, but we're connected to the source of all of life. Our, our lives are given to us by a caring provider. 
And we're invited to receive our lives and the things that we need with with gratitude. When we feel those lacks to ask, seek, and knock. And whatever we have to learn to live in interdependence with one another. And so I'm going to invite you to just hold your hands like this for a moment. And I'm going to invite you into like an examine, a couple of questions. Where in your life do you feel like you don't have enough or that you're not enough? Have you been tempted to close your hands in worry or anxiety or striving? Open your hands to the care and presence of your creator. What are you appreciating about this day in this moment? The new green of spring, a day of rest. What are your desires? Ask, seek, and knock. Everything you need is here. Keep your palms like that. And when you, will you pray with me the prayer on the screen? Lord, lead us in the way of trust. Second beatitude, Jesus says, blessed are those who mourn. Oh, that's weird. Happy are those who are unhappy. Jesus would not make it as a motivational speaker in the 21st century. But this is the second thing he says in his biggest talk ever. Um, But what I love about this is that Jesus is honest about real life. Hard things happen. We suffer. We have loss and disappointment and pain. And our first tendency when we come into contact with with the the inherent difficulties of life is to want to run away. Um, There's actually, it's a psychological mechanism of pain avoidance. And so do this posture with me of trying to push it away. Don't want to think about what's hard. What can I distract myself with? A lot of us became, we were good at this anyways, but we became experts at this during the pandemic. What food, what substance, what can I, what can I buy, what can I watch that's somehow going to help me not to have to think about what's too hard in my life? Um, and as anyone who's in recovery knows, running from pain rarely helps us actually experience the healing we need. And so with great wisdom, Jesus says, I'm inviting you to sit with the pain. So shift postures. Put your hands on your head. Ancient people knew how to do this. Uh, They'd throw ashes on their heads. They'd tear their clothes. They'd sit in the dirt and cry out and say, this is hard. God, where are you? Life sucks right now. And they'd wrestle with the hard things. They'd, They'd lean into lament and complaint. So I want to invite you to consider some questions with me about this. When you look out at our world, what breaks your heart? What makes you sad? Where do you feel loneliness, pain, disappointment, or loss? I want to remind you, God is here. Don't run away. Face the pain. Wait for the comfort that is near. It might come when you least expect it. I invite you to pray this with me. Lord, lead us in the way of lament. Third beatitude, Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. 
Uh, I invite you to stand up with me, if you're able. One of the, this beatitude gets at questions of identity, which is a big thing, particularly in our time. And one of the ways that we try and figure out our identity is by comparing ourselves to other people. Do you remember doing this as a young child? Do it with the person next to you. Who's taller or who's shorter? Um, who's, who's better looking? Who's more attractive? <laughs> All right. Don't get too carried away with your comparisons. So... Um, it's exhausting trying to build a sense of identity based on competitions and comparisons. Some of us strive to get on top. Others of us decided that we're less than and we live in this lower, diminished position. Is trying to get a sense of identity built on what we can do or achieve, is that a reliable way of developing a sense of self? I don't think so. And so um, with this beatitude, Jesus is uh, inviting us to stop doing it that way and learn to, um, to embrace our inherent dignity and worth. So I want, to, I want you to put your hand on your heart. And I want to remind you what scripture says about you. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. You were made a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned with glory and honor. Where do you struggle with competition or comparisons? How do you get in that trap, uh, get, uh, in the, get caught in that trap of feeling greater than or less than somebody else? With your hand in your heart, I want to remind you, you are made in God's image and you have inherent dignity and worth. It's really hitting me this morning and Jill, you put your hand on my shoulder and said, this is, this is the, the beloved child who God loves and is pleased with. And um, the last couple of days I've been doing that with my hand on, the, on my shoulder, just like the dove that landed on Jesus. And I, I'm moved by that. And I want to I learn to live in it. And I hope that for you as well. Um, that allows us to honor also the equal dignity and worth of others. I'm thinking this morning of Auntie Denise, uh, Aboriginal elder I know in South Australia. And she took me on country a couple years ago and taught me a lesson about this. She said, we, we got up for the sunrise and she welcomed the day by looking at the sun and giving praise to the almighty creator. And she said, I spent most of my life feeling like I was second class and junk. That's what, that's what my culture told me. My ancestors lived on this land for 80,000 years, but we didn't even get citizenship until I was halfway through my adulthood. I'm a female, and, um, there, and, and I've tried to be a minister, and that wasn't allowed in my tradition. And she said, she said as a 62-year-old person, I'm finally realizing I'm not junk. I'm made in God's image. I'm, a, I'm, I'm the daughter of God. And you could see her stand a little taller when she said that. And it was, it's so powerful for us to get in touch with that. We pray this with me. Lord, lead us in the way of humility. Um, stay standing if you're able. 
Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness or justice. Man, we look out on the world and the 24-hour news cycle reminds us of this. War raging in the Ukraine, the climate crisis, um, uh, like epidemic levels of uh, mental health struggle, depression, suicide, oh, and our hearts break. And it's so easy when we look at those problems to go like this. What can anybody do about this? And we've even taken apathy and read that back into the Bible and our tradition and say, yeah, we're worms. We couldn't possibly do better than this. The world's going from bad to worse and we just got to hang on until Jesus comes back. It's actually not what scripture says about the journey we're on. In, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, you're the light of the world. Let your good deeds shine. We're not helpless. We're not hopeless. And so this beatitude invites us to move from passive, learned helplessness to embrace our power, that we're, we get to participate in the remaking of the world. So I want you to make a shape of strength. For me, I grew up watching Wonder Woman, so you could think Wonder Woman. A lot of us are thinking Wakanda. And I want you to reflect on these questions. What's the thirst for justice that's inside of you right now? How would you like the world to become different and better? You are a powerful being. You shape the world by your choices. How will you join the work God is doing to make all things new today? Together, let's pray. Lord, lead us in the way of justice. I'm going to ask you to stand for one more beatitude. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Um, one of the ways that we develop a moral compass and learn what's right and wrong is by asking questions like, who's the good guy and the bad guy in the movie or TV show? And then we do the same thing with ourselves. Am I a good boy or a bad boy? A good girl or a bad girl? Um, and if we see somebody and we go, that they're, they're the bad guy, or we go, I'm a bad boy, we sit in contempt and judgment, and we want to go, that's wrong, and somebody should be punished. Bad should come to them. And what's painful about this is we do, as much as we do it to other people, we do, many of us do it even more with ourselves, beating ourselves up and living with that self-loathing. And so um, consider this, that tendency towards judgment and contempt. And Jesus is, it, it's not working for us. I think about what it feels like inside for me when I'm criticizing and when I'm, sp I'm speaking with contempt and looking with judgment or contempt at others. Jesus is inviting us to go from that posture, slap it down, by the way, let's be done with it, and move into a new posture of seeing eye with eyes of compassion. Um, I'm tempted to go, what, how does God see us and look up? But in God, we live and move and have our being. So God's seeing us right here on our level. God sees us not, not through our flaws and mistakes, but sees us as beloved. And when we internalize that, 
we can learn to also look at others through those eyes of compassion. So I want you to turn to the person next to you. And if I dare you, look right into their eyes. See them for who they are as God's beloved. I'm seeing you, Peter. God delights in you. All right. I'm going to invite you to pause for a moment and consider this question. Who do you struggle to forgive? A parent, a former partner, somebody at work you find difficult, yourself? Who do you find yourself judging? You are deeply loved. Mercy dares us to believe that the truest thing about us is not that we're broken or flawed, but that we are beloved. And invites us to live and pray this way. Pray it with me. Lord, lead us in the way of compassion. Okay, you can be seated. We're getting a little bit of workout while we're doing this. That's good. Uh, they say sitting's the new smoking, so I'm just trying to help you live longer. So... Um, we're, we're, we're more than halfway through the Beatitudes. Are you picking up on the shifts? You see in instinct, new posture? You're probably also noticing that some of these shifts have been easier for you than others. And um, I think some of this is based on your life story and also your personality, your pattern way of seeing things where you've, you've there's some things where you've got a real distortion and that's where spiritual disciplines come in, where it takes, it takes some, some training to learn to see and be in a new way, particularly in those areas of vulnerability. Let's go on to the next one. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Uh, psychologists and philosophers tell us that... Um, that one of the things that happens for us as we develop is that we create a mask or persona. Young children don't have this, and it's partly why I love being around young kids. They've got no filter. They say what's on their mind. If they want something, they ask for it. If they're sad, they just cry. And then you and I got smarter, and we're like, I don't know if it's safe to share what I really think and feel inside. And so we fake it to make it. The problem with that is that if I'm wearing my mask and you're wearing your mask, we're not connecting authentically. And if I wear my mask and try and approach my creator, try and cover up like Adam and Eve did, go in the opposite of what was going to be their help, they ran into the bushes. If I cover myself, God can't, God can't love me the way God wants to love me when I'm in that posture of self-protection. And that's why honesty with God and one another is the pathway to wholeheartedness. And so we're being invited, and you can do this, to move from this hiding and pretending, to take off the mask, to step into the light, let our maker see us warts and all, and have the vulnerability to let a couple people in, to trust a few people to say, here's where I really... Where I really struggle. Here's where I'm at. So hold, step into the light with me. Keep your hands up. If you really want to do it, do a little jazz hands. And I invite you to consider these questions. What masks do you tend to wear? Where is there a divide between what's in your heart and what you're willing to show others? 
God sees all. Step into the light of the creator's tender gaze. Allow yourself to be seen and known. Examine your motives for why you do things. How can you be more honest, true, and wholehearted today? I remember being in Uganda a few years ago, and I was talking about this. And there's a lot, uh, among my brothers and sisters, there, there's a lot of faking it to make it. And uh, I, asked, I asked, what do you think about what we just talked about? And a woman stood up, and she said, I've closed my heart off to my husband afraid of letting know my real needs. As we looked at this, I'm feeling invited to try and have some more truthful, honest conversations with this person in my life. This beatitude invites us to live and pray this way. Say it with me. Lord, lead us in the way of right motive. All right. We're really giving the slide person a workout, by the way. All right. Next beatitude And you're going to hear more about this next week, I believe. But Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they'll be called the children of God. Our first instinct is to divide the world between us and them. My family, my country, my football team, and yours. The things I like, my politics and yours. And it's the cause of so much division in our world. And, um, and Jesus is inviting us to move from that posture of dividing to recognize the deeper truth. To instead of doing that, to, to try this with me, to reach past differences and look for those points of connection. Reality is we're all part, we're all made by one God, part of one family. And though there are differences and distinctions, we can either choose to emphasize those or we can think about what we have as common ground. And so this beatitude invites us into this. So I want you to hold your body in this shape and consider this question. Where do you feel conflict or difference from others? A family member, that other party, that group, people with different opinions on um, vaccines or whatever it might be. Who do you tend to put on the other side? Reality is that we're all sons and daughters of one parent. We belong to one another. Who do you feel invited to reach out to, to reconcile and connect with today, to get curious about? This beatitude invites us to live and pray this way. Pray it with me. Lord, lead us in the way of peacemaking. All right, we're almost there. Jesus said, blessed are the persecuted, uh, those persecuted for justice. This is a beatitude that's particularly challenging for me. When I try, I try and be, I try and do good. And then people sometimes don't say thanks to me. Some people talk bad about me. And it just crushes and paralyzes me. Um, and our first reaction is to want, to want to lash out. And I don't have the, always have the courage to lash out at the person, so I'll galvanize my resentments. Hey, can you believe what that person said about me or did to me or how they, how they screwed me over? And, um, and so that's that reactive, defensive 
posture. This beatitude invites us to move from that reaction. We do it because we want justice, right? But we can let God have the justice, and instead, it's actually a more powerful position, but to surrender to the suffering that, 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 we, are, that we experience, knowing that we're part of a larger cosmic struggle between good and evil. This is the shape of surrender in my culture, as if you're surrendering to arrest. It reminds me of Jesus saying, turn the other cheek, love your enemy. So hold your body like this. Who do you, um, um, how have you been mistreated for doing good? Where's there suffering in your life right now? God is with those who suffer. Resist evil, embrace suffering, Commit to doing good no matter what the cost because in the end, love will finally win. So this beatitude invites us to live and pray this way. Pray it with me. Lord, lead us in the way of surrender. All right, here's why I think that we have to pay attention to that ninth phrase of Jesus. It's not quite the same as the the eighth one. Jesus says, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus is getting at our tendency to be afraid. Um, I just talked to somebody this week who said, uh, they live in Florida and they said, there's things going on in my, my state that I feel like don't, don't go with God's heart for compassion and justice. And I literally think that if I share my opinion, I might lose my job. And, and so there's, there's a scariness about, about, about choosing love because of what it costs us. Um, so I want you to consider, where's there fear in your life? How are you hesitating to love because of what it might cost you? And with this beatitude, Jesus is inviting us from this posture of fear and cowardice to move from that, from hope that death is not the end, life comes after life, and from that we can have hope in resurrection and the courage to live and love radically. So you got to stand with me for this one. You can't make the shape of a cross sitting down. This beatitude invites us to live and pray together. Lord, lead us in the way of radical love. All right, you can be seated. A couple last comments. Um, I would invite you to consider using these postures and these pictures to help you uh, regulate your heart each day. Sometimes I do, I often do this, I go for an early morning walk, I take these shapes with my body and I go, right now, am I living in closed-handed anxiety or open-handed trust? Am I running from pain or am I sitting with what's hard? Um, Am I tempted to be jealous and compare or am I really affirming my inherent dignity and worth? And so it's a way to kind of check in, to examine, and continue to invite yourself to to see the the vision of life that Jesus is, the rest that he's inviting us into.
So I actually take these shapes as I walk around the park by my house. I'm sure some of my neighbors think I'm kind of weird when I'm walking around <laughs> like this, but it really does help me adjust my expectation and, um, and make, the, make the choice, the new flip into Jesus' manifesto for a new way of being and doing. Um, I want to sh show the next slide so you, that you can see the summary here. And um, maybe we can send this out in the newsletter this week, the email blast, so that you can have a picture of this that you could use um, uh, for yourself. Uh, e. Stanley Jones wrote a, a little book. He was a missionary in India, and he wrote a little book about the Sermon on the Mount once. And he said some really interesting things about the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes. Um, he was actually friends with Mahatma Gandhi. And it's a little-known fact that Gandhi read through the Sermon on the Mount most days of his adult life. And um, Jones wrote a book about Gandhi and his nonviolent approach, Satagira, that got into the hands of a young preacher from America called Martin Luther King Jr. And, um, and reflecting on the Sermon on the Mount, E. Stanley Jones once said, a little man in a loincloth in India picks out from the Sermon on the Mount one of its central principles, applies it as a method for gaining human freedom, and the world, challenged and charmed, bends over to catch the significance of this great sight. It is important of what would happen if we would take the whole of the Sermon on the Mount and apply it to the whole of life. It would renew our Christianity, and it would renew our world. In other words, if, 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 if healing and revolution could happen by one person taking one of Jesus' teachings seriously and affect South Africa and India. Imagine if those of us who actually identify as followers of Jesus would take him as seriously and apply these, walk these ways out in our lives. It's, a, it's an incredible challenge to me. Um, I'd invite you to consider going on a deeper journey with this. Um, Maybe Jill mentioned, we take people on a, on a practice walk through the Beatitudes that many people have said really help them with this. Um, some of those, those practices are in my book, and we also offer a lab that if you check out my website, um, uh, you can see how to sign up for that. Or maybe, maybe around here, people would like to, like to initiate a deeper journey like that. To close, I want us to go back through those shapes again and pray them together. Next slide, please. And stand with me, and let's, let's, let's summarize the journey that we've, we've been on together. You're welcome to say the words with me. Um, if they move too fast for you, feel free just to uh, um, hold the shapes with your body. Almighty one, today may we live with open hands, mourn what's broken, Serve with self-respect. Use our power for good. Look with compassion. Walk in honesty. Reach past difference. Suffer for love. And live fearlessly, following your way of radical love. Thank you.